Welcome to the Crispin Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Crispin. Topics on today's episode include U.S. homeownership rates, my interview with Greg Korn and Ben Petta from the New England Mortgage Bankers Conference, and what we do and don't know in the capital markets. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Calc. Given their rates are the highest they've been in decades, how can homeowners be convinced to move into a new home? With the trade mortgage powered by Calc, homeowners can buy before they sell, make non-contingent offers, and tap their home equity to fund the down payment on their next home. The result? Lenders help their clients negotiate a lower purchase price, reduce their interest payments, and eliminate PMI. The U.S. homeownership rate in 2022 was even higher than before the COVID-19 pandemic at 65.8% compared to 64.6% in 2019. That rebound was driven largely by those aged 44 and younger. And who says millennials aren't buying homes? Homeownership continued to climb from the foreclosure crisis of 2004 and Great Recession from 2008, and when homeownership rates dipped as low as 63.4% in 2016. Homeownership rates recovered approximately half of the 5.6% decrease from 2004 to 2016. In Hawaii, the homeownership rate is 59%, and I bring up the Aloha State because American Savings Bank, First Hawaiian Bank, and Central Pacific Bank joined Hawaii Community Lending, a Hawaii-based community development financial institution, in pledging to provide mortgage forbearances to Maui families impacted by the recent wildfires. For today's interview, we're going to do something a little different. I had the pleasure of attending the New England Mortgage Bankers Conference last week in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where I was able to go on stage and interview various state association presidents. Today, I'd like to air one of those interviews. I'm very pleased to be joined this morning by uh, Massachusetts Mortgage Bankers Association Chair Greg Korn and uh, Rhode Island Mortgage Bankers Association President Ben Pettit. Uh, Welcome, gentlemen. I had asked, I had given you guys a big list of questions. I give me your, your top ones, and you two actually were very similar about the ones that you responded with. And the top one for both of you was how did you originally get into the mortgage industry? So, Ben, let's start with you, then let's go. Great. How'd you get into it? Uh, like everybody else, completely by accident, um, <laughs> not by design. Uh, so, I went to law school in Rhode Island, and um, after I graduated and sat for the bar exam and was waiting uh, on the results, I decided I needed to start earning a paycheck. Um, so I went through a temp agency in Rhode Island, and uh, they said, well, this, this place called Equity National, like, they do a little bit of legal-type work. Why don't we try that out? So I actually started there as a temp um, and worked my way you know, from the ground floor, um, just handling closing packages, post-closing files, scheduling closings. Uh, and you know, through the course of 18 years, uh, here I am. So it was totally by accident. One thing that we all know to be true now that we didn't know when we got into it is that this is like Hotel California. Um, you can never leave it once you're in it. Uh, so, uh, so I'm not leaving. Hey, thanks. Uh, very similar story to Ben. I went to college, pretty much everything I tried throughout my young adult life I got. I walked onto the golf team. I became captain of the tennis team. I was captain of the debate team. Senior year in college, I was written in as class. It was to be an asset manager for Merrill Lynch, and I was going to spend a year in Tokyo, a year in London, a year in New York. 
And then a week after graduation, I found out I didn't get it. And my father said, well, you got to get a job. <laughs> like Ben, I looked at a temp agency and said, well, i got to find something. Went to work for a company called SCS Mortgage. They were a wholesaler owned by Suncoast Savings down in Hollywood, Florida. And two weeks in, my mentor in the business, Jeremy Marshall, bought out my contract, and I've been in the business ever since. So uh, very similar. And I'll add, I'll add a little self-promotion here. I started when I was in high school, and, and actually going back to, to middle school, I'd gone to summer camp in my summers as a child, and when I graduated fifth grade, my dad said, you're old enough to start working. And so I, I went for, for a local construction company for a couple summers and was digging ditches for $6.75 an hour. I said, Dad, this sucks. I want to do something else. And he said, well, if you think that sucks, I got a real job for you, getting mortgage banking time. And uh, so when I was 14, some, summer... Uh, Right after I graduated eighth grade, I'd take the BART train in the Bay Area 45 minutes over to the East Bay at about 4 or 15 in the morning every day, Monday to Friday, which there's some unsavory characters on public transit at 4.15, especially for a 14-year-old to deal with. And uh, went over there and, and did dock drawing and helped out on various tasks, and, and I've kind of been in the mortgage industry ever since. So I'm only 31, but I guess 17 or so years that I've been doing this more than half my life, which is crazy. Maybe one day I will aspire to be the, the chair of a state organization like you two. And, and that's kind of my next question here is, uh, for you in, in Rhode Island and you in Massachusetts, what, what made you want to be president and you want to be chair of your state association? Uh, it was never a plan. So uh, <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, uh, so uh, my company, Equity National, we've been, in, we've been um, involved with uh, the Bankers Association of Rhode Island for going on 25 years. Um, our president uh, has been deeply involved, served on the board for um, a number of years. Um, and, you know, through my ascension within the organization, um, I started to get attached to uh, the, the banking association. And, and um, uh, there was an open spot on the legislative committee. Um, and I decided to uh, raise my hand, uh, join that. And it was just an awesome experience. It was uh, served on that for a number of years. And, um, you know, for those of you who aren't aware, um, you know, the legislative uh, committees for the various associations, um, they review hundreds of bills every single year. They look at every single bill. Um, and, you know, they, they, they flag bills that are either, you know, um, uh, you know, good bills or bad bills, uh, for lack of a better description. And, um, and, and we advocate. You know, we advocate for the bills that are going to help the business, and we advocate against the bills that are going to hurt the business. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to testify many times at the state house, um, and our uh, success rate on those bills were, I don't know, 99 plus percent in terms of getting bills passed or getting bills killed that uh, uh, supported the business. So. Um, Ultimately, that found my way onto the uh, the board of directors, and um, and uh, and then uh, I was uh, I was asked to be president. So um, you know, humbly I'm here, um, and humbly I'm serving uh, the board and and uh, doing good things. Excellent. Yeah, I've been doing this for 30 years. As I look out in the audience, I see a lot of people that I've seen for the past 30 years. None of you are older. You're all a little more experienced. Like uh, Ben was saying, Hotel California, my expression is 
same clowns, different circuses, because uh, <laughs> the circus is closed. Um, but in my 30 years, I've done post-closing, secondary, processing, underwriting, closing, appraising, sales, and then was asked to become a chief risk officer where I had legal risk compliance. Did that for about seven years and said, I gotta get back into sales. Throughout that entire time, I've been attending events at the various state associations throughout New England and really learned a lot my entire career by attending events like this. This is my 30th year coming to NEMBC. And I started, like Ben, on a committee. Started on the membership committee because I was out on the road visiting customers. Talked about the things that you could learn, the people that you could meet with at associations, and really had a passion for it. Then, right around the beginning of TRID, I was asked by Debbie to go down to Washington, D.C. for the National Advocacy Conference and join that. And the industry was up in arms, really having a hard time with all of the changes and the lack of clarity with regards to the regulation. And I was asked to sit down with Elizabeth Warren and talk to her. And, and the CFPB was her baby. She wanted to punish us, uh, for lack of a better word. And in the reality, I walked in and I had a letter that Mass Housing had provided that they were going to eliminate third-party brokerage for the mass housing product. And I walked in uh, to Senator Warren's office and I said, you know, I completely understand the need for rulemaking. I completely understand the need to make sure we don't have bad apples in our, in our midst. But the reality is, is that the, without clarity in the regulations, you're harming the constituents that you're trying to protect, the low to moderate income borrowers. And so I showed her the letter from mass housing and that's when I saw that advocacy works, because two days later after that meeting, Richard Cordray, uh, chairman at the time, sent out a letter adding some more clarity. And so it was pretty amazing. From there, I was, Massachusetts is a little different. You're asked to be part of an executive committee. It's a five-year process, a year as secretary, a year as treasurer, then your chair-elect chair, and then thankfully next year I'll be past chair. Um, and after 30 years in this business, I think it's one of the best ways that we can give back to the industry that's supported me. That's pretty cool. And it shows the strength of advocacy groups and supporting your state association. So I really like hearing that story. I'm going to kind of ask you two slightly different versions of a question here. Ben, for you, what do you look forward to about NEMBC? What, what kind of says, makes you think, you know, I'm, I'm excited to, to go back, uh, see these faces, network with people, go to these sessions? And, and Greg, for you, what was the highlight of your first day? What, what did you feel like was really valuable? Yeah, the first thing I want to talk about is my childhood work experience. Um, so, uh, because you, you, you um, made me remember what my mother did. So your father had you working at a very young age. Um, my mother had me working at such a young age that she had to sort of falsify my birth certificate to get me a job picking tobacco. Um, and I got on a, like a, a bus that looked like a prison bus at about 4.30 in the morning to go to the tobacco fields when I was 12 years old. So uh, I don't know if there's any commonality there, but you know we're working at a very young age doing really hard work, and we all find ourselves in the mortgage industry. So I don't... 
<laughs> and that too. And that too. Uh, so what, as I was reflecting on, on um, you know, on coming here and, and on being here, um, it's not the. I don't think it's here. Um, you know, one thought I'd had is um, community, and this is our community, and um, we're in a crisis. You know, we've been in a crisis. We're going to get through the crisis, but we're going to get through the crisis together. And being here is not easy for everybody. Um, I'm sure it was a hard choice for a lot of people. Um, it's, you're talking about giving your time and giving your treasure to be here. Um, and in today's environment, that's not always an easy choice. It hasn't been an easy choice for, I'm sure, a lot of you. Um, so really grateful and thankful um, for everyone who showed up here. Um, we have an opportunity to share our common struggles, um, to ideate over, you know, how do we solve for these things? How do we help our businesses move forward? And ultimately, how do we help the industry move forward through this crisis? So that's, that's where I'm at. Uh, that's my emotion coming into the conference and, and really sitting here today is just grateful for all of you and grateful for the opportunity to connect as a community. Uh, and in terms of what I found most impactful on day one, and day one was actually the golf, but that's not my answer. Uh, <laughs> For those that know me, I play once or twice a year. Um, the reality is uh, this conference has been home for me to build my business over the past 30 years, and it was always a C-suite conference. So you could always come, you could meet with all the decision makers. And we heard from our exhibitors and vendors over the years that we need more of an audience. We need loan officers, we need realtors, and we made a concerted effort to bring them there this year. And I thought it was really good... Um, when, when we had the uh, president of MBA, Bob, start yesterday. But then we did an executive forum at lunch. Well, a lot of you were overseeing Steve Richmond, who I heard did a phenomenal job. But we had executives throughout the industry in New England come into a room yesterday, and it was a packed room, interviewed by uh, John Spillane and George DeMillo. And the interaction in that room is what excites me about this industry. There's a million different ways to tackle problems, but we're all facing the same problems. I can go out and visit a customer, and I'll hear from them, you know, I'm having this challenge, liquidity, is it only me? And I can proudly say, well, no, I've been in seven different shops in the past week, and they've all had the same issues. Uh, I'm having problems with communication. As business is slowed down, my operations team and my sales team are at each other's throats. Well, we have solutions for that. Let's talk about it and help. And so yesterday, watching that room of executives that I've known for over 20 years get together and discuss their businesses openly with their peers, sharing what's working for them, it was really, I, I thought it was one of the most powerful moments for me. That's good to hear. Ben, I, I appreciate you not sugarcoating things. And to use your word, you call this a crisis. And it certainly is a very tough market cycle that we're in. Talk about getting through it. How, how do we get through this together? What, what silver linings are you looking for? What ways do you feel like businesses can uh, stay afloat in an environment like this? And, and Greg, for you, how, how do we maintain some positivity uh, in, in face of something that's so tough? Yeah, so um, uh, for me, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's that old saying, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. 
Um, and, and we've had to look at the business the same way in terms of just operating my business. Um, we, we've had to challenge everything that we do. Um, one of the things I tell our staff all the time is if we're not doing these, if we're not asking these three questions, then we're not doing our jobs well. And the question is, and how are we doing it, and why are we doing it that way? And we, we had to walk through every step of everything that we do, and we asked those three questions. And it's amazing what you find. And, you know, because there's the checklist, right? We all deal with the checklist in, in this business. And the checklist is good. It, keeps, it makes sure we're doing things the right way. But the problem with the checklist is it can be very paralyzing. And it can kind of cause us not to think about other possibilities, other ways of doing the same thing, but doing them better, doing them more efficiently, providing a better service. So for me, that exercise, and that exercise didn't, didn't just take a day or, or a week. Um, I'm trying to instill it as a part of our culture. It's how we look at our business every day. We're challenging convention. We're looking at it and we're saying, okay, well, this is the way we've always done it, but is there a different way? Is there a better way? Or should we be doing this at all? Um, and so going through that process over the last 18 months has made us a better business. It's made us more efficient. It's made us smarter. I think it's made our service levels better. And we're not done. We're going to keep doing that. Um, and I think all businesses are, I would assume that all businesses are going through similar exercises because you don't have a choice right now. You have to look at how you can do things differently, do things better. Um, so that, to me, has been um, the most important thing um, that we've done as a business, is just going through every single process, every detail, and challenging all of it. Well, I think for me, it's making sure that everyone understands we're all going through these challenges we're not, no one's on an island, we're not alone. And in the loan originator and realtor panel yesterday, they talked about getting back to basics. Interesting statistics, 80% of salespeople know what they need to do to be successful, but very few do it. And so I spend a lot of my time traveling throughout the Northeast, talking with customers about, hey, how can we get not only back to basics, but how can we improve the customer experience? Everybody talks about customer service. But customer experience is really the end goal, what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to get to. And I say this, I was in a, a bank and I talked to them and I said, if somebody wanted to open a checking account, how long would it take them? Oh, they can do it right online instantly. How about a car loan? How long would it take them to get a car loan? Oh, we do that same day. I said, so you have a loyal bank customer that walks into your shop, opens a checking account, thrilled, gets a car loan, is super happy. Now they apply for a mortgage. Can they get that the same day? Why not? Customer expectations are what you need to meet, and you need to manage that. And so think about that as an originator, as a manager, as an underwriter, is if you're not setting the groundwork for them, even if you give them the product that they applied for in the very beginning and you think you did a great job, that customer experience may not be what you want it to be. And so I... I've done workshops all throughout the Northeast on trying to get people to look at how can we improve our customer experience, not just externally with customers, but internally with your internal customers. Yeah, Ben, you had said that we're kind of at this point that's going to necessitate some sort of upheaval or change. And Greg, you mentioned that 
we're on the, the precipice of this almost customer experience revolution. I think they go hand in hand and it, it puts a smile on my face in a way where it's, we're going to get to this place that we've been hoping to for years. We're going to be able to bring down uh, closing times. We're going to bring down the cost of origination through technology. Hopefully we're finally there. We've been talking about it for so long. So I'm, I'm hopeful in that sense. You'd say you're traveling around, talking to people. What's important to those you, what's kind of top of mind for you as the chair of your state organization, association? Um, well, I hear liquidity. I hear profitability. I hear how are we going to get through this. Um, the most common thing I hear is communication. And so communication, and I actually put this on the app as my icebreaker, communication is what I'm passionate about talking about because it involves every walk of life, whether it's your personal life at home, whether it's with your family, your friends, your business partners, your customers. Improving your communication skills improves your business, period. And so as I go out and talk to members, they come to me and say, you know what? We're going to get through this, as Ben said. This is difficult, but work's supposed to be difficult. If we can improve communication as we go through this together, we're going to come out the other side better for it. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to echo those comments. Um, you know, we, we, um, we see it the same way. Um, communication is, is critical. Um, and beneath all that is really just, it's, it's relationships. And, and I know we talk about it all the time, but it's not lip service. It's relationships. And what I, am, I implore the staff to remember is that every interaction that you have, and I don't care if it's with a colleague, whether it's with um, a manager, whether it's with a, a client, a consumer, whomever it is, every single interaction we have every single day in our personal lives, in our professional lives, it's about the relationships. And if we keep that in view, um, really, truly keep that in view, we'll be a better business, we'll be a better industry for it. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I tell people all the time, I said, whether you're in person, when it's a little easier because you can see people, or you're on the phone, I, tell, I told people, put a mirror up on the wall in your cubicle or in your office. What you see in that mirror is what your customer hears when you're talking to them. If you're not, uh, you know, I, I asked uh, this at one of the things I did. I said, do you have a script on how to answer the phone? Hi, I'm Matt from New Hampshire Housing. I'd love to serve you today. Or, hi, I'm Matt from New Hampshire Housing. I'd love to serve you today. <laughs> Comes across very differently. Same words. Yes, certainly. So you're on the title side of things. You're on the mortgage insurance side of things. What are the biggest changes you've noticed over the past year in your businesses? Going to start? Uh, it's really more than the past year. It's really since COVID. And the biggest change is the hybrid work environments, people not being in the office, and getting opportunities to meet with people face-to-face. -face. That's a challenge. Um, Zoom calls, I think they said it yesterday, were a great solution. They're still necessary. Um, but that's why I think these conferences are so beneficial, is I can come here and I can see management, loan officers all under one roof and get an opportunity to spend that face-to-face -face time. 
you're not having a deep conversation where you're going through financials and pulling out account profiles um, at a conference, but you have the high-level conversations that a lot of times precipitate, hey, let's come back and we're going to have a meeting in our office here. We don't do it very often, but I'd love you to come in afterward or before it. And so that's really beneficial. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree that um, the remote in, uh, workforce uh, has presented some very unique challenges and struggles. Uh, I, have a, I have a pretty hardened view on it. Um, I've pulled our staff back into the office. Um, I did that uh, many months ago um, because it's my, my opinion that uh, community within our own office, and then we're not communicating that out to our clients, to their consumers. Um, so, you know, it's, it's about um, coming back together as an industry, which is what this conference is about. Um, you know, but the challenge has been, you know, working in that remote environment and then the, and then the hybrid environment and, and, in losing a sense of um, the connection that you have to have, I think, to deliver that customer service. And, and really, that's the, that's the ultimate point that I want to make on this, is one of the other things I communicate to our staff is, make no mistake, we're in the customer service business. Make no mistake about that. We happen to be providing title services, but we're in the customer service business first. And we can't do that if we're separated. We can't do that well if we're divided. We have to come together. So that's made a big difference for us. I couldn't agree more. And making sure that everyone on the team knows that even if this person has this per role and another person has a different role, they all impact that service. And that's it's key to everybody's important within the organization, and they all play a role in how that end customer experience plays out. Yeah, and just look at the feedback that you get from customers. How often you know, do you hear that something fell down in the process, um, and, it, and, and it could fall down anywhere in the process. Anybody touching that client could create an excellent experience or could leave a really bad impression. And so we, we definitely make sure we make that point often. I don't care where you sit. I don't care what you do. You are impacting that experience. And so you have to know that, and you have to take it seriously. It has to matter to you. And, and that's not going away even with AI or automation or whatever other advance we have. Do we have any audience questions before I ask my final question? Anybody feeling inspired this morning? I'll let you off break. <laughs> no? You're good? Uh, so let, let's talk the future a little bit then. As we move toward 2024 and, and over the course of the next year, what are you optimistic about? What are you focused on with your business? Uh, it's kind of an op open-ended question there. What, what's the future hold? So we're, we're, you know, we're focusing on, um, you know, creating a business that um, uh, puts the, you know, puts the the customer first. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, leveraging AI in a way that it removes some of the, I would say, busy stuff. You know, the stuff that can get people, I think, a little bit. Um, distracted from the ultimate objective, which is to provide an awesome experience for our clients. So leveraging AI to make us a little bit more nimble um, 
in liberating our people to focus on what matters most, which is the customer service aspect of the business. And so that's really what we're looking to do, what we're looking to accomplish. I want to, you know, what I say is let's make sure that we have the right view of AI um, because you can easily get the wrong view of AI. And so what is it doing? Is it replacing people? No. It's liberating people to be able to focus on the things that matter most, which is the relationship. And I, a little different, I'm most excited um, about the opportunity and the willingness of our partners to come out and help them get through these challenging times. You look at 2020, 2021, first half of 2022, people were doing business at an unbelievable rate. And it was, if they needed Greg, it was because there was a fire. It wasn't because, hey, Greg, can you help me with my business? As it's people face challenges, they open the doors. Hey, I heard about this. People ask, why do you post on social media uh, what I do? is because a lot of times I'll post that I did a workshop for somebody. I'll get six or seven calls from other people saying, hey, could you come in and do that for, for us? And the opportunity as we get through this challenging time to work with people in the industry and help them is really what I'm most excited about. So I, I agree that AI is going to remove a lot of manual processes, which is, which is going to be great and liberate people, as you said. And in response to your answer, these events remind me that mortgage banking is a community. You know, it's very tight knit. People know people. It's, it's about relationships. Uh, and I, I enjoy coming to events like these because it reminds you of that. You know, we're all in this together. So I want to thank you both very much for the time this morning. Uh, this is great. Hopefully the audience enjoyed it. Thanks, everybody, for coming in. We learned last week that prices in August rose by the largest monthly percentage in 15 months. However, that month-over-month inflation was widely expected due to a surge in gasoline prices. Underlying oil prices are also pointing toward further increases in September. Meanwhile, core prices were up 0.3%, and core goods prices declined by 0.1%. Over the last three months, core prices have increased at an annualized pace of 2.4%, the lowest three-month pace since March 2021. Retail sales rose faster than analysts' expectations in August, also due to higher gasoline prices. Many analysts expect consumer spending to slow as, as excess savings built up over the pandemic have materially declined and credit is increasingly costly and difficult to obtain. Additionally, the resumption of student loan payments is expected to cut into discretionary spending. It will take more than expectations of slower spending before the Federal Reserve feels inflation is firmly under control. What could move mortgage rates this week? The U.S. Federal Reserve... Bank of England, Bank of Japan, and the central banks of Norway, Sweden, and Switzerland are all announcing rate decisions after a spate of recent inflation data showed that price increases are alive and well. The Fed's Federal Open Market Committee, or FOMC, the action arm of the Fed, is not expected to raise rates, and it's unlikely that the commentary around the commitment to keep fighting inflation and higher rates for longer will change either but it could tilt a little more to the hawkish side after a stronger-than-anticipated inflation report for August. This week could also see some extra drama on the political front, as the countdown continues toward a potential government shutdown in October. In addition to the battle between the United Auto Workers, 
UAW, Union, and Detroit automakers. The auto worker strike could complicate Fed Chair Powell's bid for a soft landing. Union leaders are asking for a 36% wage increase over four years to match the similar recent pay increases for top executives. The union also wants pay to rise automatically with inflation in the future, as it did before the financial crisis. This week brings the aforementioned FOMC meeting that begins tomorrow and concludes on Wednesday with the statement, updated summary of economic projections, where Fed funds projections will be closely scrutinized, and Chair Powell's press conference. Treasury will also be in the headlines with more coupon auctions scheduled, $13 billion of reopened 20-year bonds tomorrow, and $15 billion of reopened 10-year tips on Thursday. The only scheduled, probably non-market moving, news out this morning is the NHB Housing Market Index for September. We begin the week with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Friday, the 10-year yielding 4.34 after closing last week at 4.33%, and the two years at 5%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Here's an old favorite. It's early autumn. The solstice is approaching and the Native Americans on a remote reservation in South Dakota asked their new chief if the coming winter was going to be cold or mild. Since he was a chief in a modern society, he'd never been taught the old secrets. When he looked at the sky, he couldn't tell what the winter was going to be like. Nevertheless, to be on the safe side, he told his tribe that the winter was indeed going to be cold and that members of the village should collect firewood to be prepared. But being a practical leader, after several days, he got an idea. He went to the phone booth, called the National Weather Service, and asked, Is the coming winter going to be cold? It looks like the winter is going to be quite cold, the meteorologist at the Weather Service responded. So the chief went back to his people and told them to collect even more firewood in order to be prepared. A week later, he called the National Weather Service again. Does it still look like it's going to be a very cold winter? Yes, the man at the National Weather Service replied. It's going to be a very cold winter. The chief again went back to his people and ordered them to collect every scrap of firewood they could find. Two weeks later, the chief called the National Weather Service again. Are you absolutely sure the winter is going to be very cold? Absolutely, the man replied. It's looking more and more like it's going to be one of the coldest winters we've ever seen. How can you be so sure? The chief asked. To which the weatherman replied, The Indians are collecting crazy amounts of firewood. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Cal. The trade in mortgage levels the playing field and empowers loan officers to stay competitive and close more deals. With non-contingent financing, bigger down payments, and the ability to buy and move before selling, Calc simplifies the home buying and selling process for everyone involved. To learn more about the trade in mortgage and sign up for a demo, head to Calc's website at www.tradeandmortgage.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.